This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call The Funniest Show on Television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Episode 2 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's weekly awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I'm very happy to be joined here at the Toronto International Film Festival by our executive editor and the guy who's led all of our coverage here at the fest, Matt Bellany. Thank you for coming in. No problem. Good afternoon. Matt, in just a few minutes, we're going to go to an interview that I did here today with Eddie Redmayne, the star of The Danish Girl, which is one of the the most talked about movies at the fest. But before we do that, I think we should maybe give people a little bit of a recap about uh, just the whole scene here and what sort of come out better and worse uh, than before it came here. And so from your point of view, uh, you know, where do you think, where should we begin? Well, I think, you know, what's interesting about Toronto, obviously, in addition to the great movies you see, everyone starts talking about the awards race. It is the unofficial kickoff of awards season. And I think about midway through the festival, we are getting a sense of the big contenders. I mean, you have the ones that premiered at Venice and Telluride, like Black Mass and Spotlight. Uh, Steve Jobs, which is not here, is probably still in the conversation as mm-hmm. well. But then you have some some movies that premiered here. I think Cape Blanchett is definitely a, a contender for Truth, mm-hmm. the Dan Rather movie. I don't know if that movie is going to go the distance, but she certainly is amazing in the film. And I think there are some others as well. What is your impression? Well, you know, I've been surprised by a number of things. The Martian, which I thought might just be a purely commercial movie, uh, may have some awards prospects. It's, it's Ridley Scott's sort of uh, big comeback in a way. This guy hasn't been really on his game since Gladiator, which is already 15 years ago. And yet here he's back and, and Matt Damon gives a very winning performance in that. We've seen a number of other more performance possibilities, not not necessarily movies. So whether it's Brian Cranston in Trumbo or Tom Hiddleston and I Saw the Light or, or many I others. I didn't see I Saw the Light, but it did, the reviews were not great. So you think Hiddleston is still a contender? I, you don't want to totally write somebody off because the movie doesn't work because I think, you know, there many people felt the same way about whether it was Crazy Heart and yet Jeff Bridges came out right. with it. This out. is the Hank Williams biopic that, yes. that was screened here on over the weekend. Exactly. And the movie definitely has its problems. The same, you know, there, there, are, there are certainly issues with, with Free Help, for instance, another one that just premiered here. That's the Julianne Moore, Ellen Page, uh, lesbian domestic benefits yes, movie. Yes, set, set way in the past 10 years ago. And, <laughs> and it shows, uh, you know, in a lot of ways how far things have come. But, uh, you know, in, in the movie is not flawless at all. And yet Julianne Moore, as a, as a woman dying of cancer, trying to kind of hold on to some some rights that heterosexual people would, would get uh, is very powerful as always. And so, um, you know, it's it's I don't I think the big thing, though, is that we have not come away from either Telluride or Toronto or the others that you mentioned. Sundance Venice uh, can with a movie that is the clear front runner in the way that 
in most of the last few years, we we felt that we've seen the 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 probable best picture by this point. Do you agree? I I completely agree. I think there's a lot of movies here and at the other festivals so far that people like. I'm not hearing something that is getting universal praise as something everyone loves. Right. So the fact that there isn't a clear front runner actually makes it a more interesting Oscar race because the best movie of the year is maybe still to come or one of these movies could gain traction and sort of go the distance. Right. I, I, I really can't tell at this point. No, it's, 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 uh, it's fascinating. And, you know, we, we head from here to the New York Film Festival in just a few days from now where The Walk, which is Robert Zemeckis' movie about uh, the guy that walked between the World Trade Centers, that's opening the fest. That's a possibility. Steve Jobs will get its big unveiling there. So maybe... You know, that that could kickstart things again for that. And then, you know, but what what I found interesting is that this year, a lot of the most anticipated titles are being held till quite late in the season. I mean, on Christmas Day alone, we have Joy, the David O. Russell reunion with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. We have Concussion with Will Smith. We have The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio and last year's Best Director winner, Alejandro Gonzalez and Aritu. And don't forget Star Wars. And Star Wars, of <laughs> course, as well. And People forget that Star Wars, the original 1977 film, got a Best Picture nomination. And many others. And I totally agree with you. I think that people are hungry for uh, sort of a... Uh, a reboot in a sense of this franchise. The last three were so disappointing for most people. And to have now J.J. Abrams and a cast of some of the best young actors in the business, Oscar Isaac, John Boyega, all kinds of people in this, I'm optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that it would take a lot. This movie has to be really good to get a Best Picture nomination. But people also forget that J.J. Abrams' last reboot, Star Trek, got a Producers Guild nomination for Best Picture. It didn't get the Best Picture Oscar nomination. But there is some precedent here. And I think that when you get that PGA nom, that means you were probably not that far from the the picture nom. And so it's it's. It's plausible, I think. And I think a lot of people in the industry are rooting for Star Wars. They want it to be good. They yep. want it to do gigantic business. Right. They really see it as a shot in the arm for the industry. And a lot of times those movies, whether it's Titanic or Avatar, you know, right. the big blockbuster that appeals to the entire world, right. does score a Best Picture nomination. Well, absolutely. And, and if it does, that would be great news, not only for Disney stockholders, but also for ABC, which which is hoping to rebound from the lowest ratings in years of this last uh, at this last telecast with Neil Patrick Harris is the host. But, I mean, I guess the the question that people probably wonder is, if the Oscars were held tomorrow, based on what we've seen right now, what do you think would, would be the winner? The winner? Yes. Oh, I have no idea. But I think if, you, if you're looking at, at nominations for Best Picture right yeah. now, you'd probably have to include Spotlight. You'd probably include Black Mass. Mm-hmm. You would probably include maybe Steve Jobs, sure. just based on the reaction out of Telluride. But again, it's so early. Well, I'll, t- I'll add one more to that list because it's the one we're going to be talking about for the rest of this podcast, and that is The Danish Girl, which is a, a movie that stars Eddie Redmayne, who less than a year ago, really barely six months ago, was standing in front of the world as the Best Actor winner uh, for The Theory of Everything, playing Stephen Hawking. This time, he is back with Tom Hooper, who directed him on TV in Elizabeth I and in the movies at in Les Miserables, which was the Best Picture nominee. This time, as a he's playing a trans person in 1920s Copenhagen, uh, and obviously this couldn't have been planned, but the timing of this movie uh, coincides with uh, the society really looking at this issue, whether it's in 
transparent on TV or Caitlyn Jenner or Laverne Cox or all kinds of things. There's a Tangerine. Tangerine, yes, which was a very interesting movie shot entirely on iPhones dealing with trans people in present day Los Angeles. So it's obviously a, a, a hot button topic. And what I can tell you is that based on its premiere, which I, I, I think you may have been at as well here in Toronto, um, in the same theater, by the way, as Theory of Everything had its North American premiere a year ago. People are going crazy not only for the movie, but about the idea that Eddie Redmayne could be a the first person to win back-to-back Best Actor Oscars since Tom Hanks did it 20, 20-something years ago for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, which is high praise. Yeah, let's get to your interview. Let's do it. Eddie Redmayne, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I have to say that before we really get into it, one of the one of the sad things about what I do, I feel, is that uh, you go through a season, you kind of cover somebody from start to finish, you get to know them a little bit, you interview them, you, you get a sense of who they are, and then usually it's at least a few years that you don't that go by before you see them again, and sometimes you never see them again because their ambitions change, their focus changes, it's, sometimes it's just it's hard to recapture the magic, and yet here we are just a few months after you were up there in front of the world accepting the Best Actor Oscar for The Theory of Everything. And we're here again. So how is this possible? How did, how did you make this happen? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I, um, I, I basically, this, this film, The Danish Girl, this script has, I think it's been around for 15 years. And, and I was given the script when I was making Les Miserables with Tom Hooper, and he sort of passed me this brown envelope and said, will you have a read of this? And I read it and was so, so extraordinarily moved by it. It was this incredibly beautiful love story and story of authenticity. And immediately I said, I think I, think I said, I don't think it even offered, to, offered it to me. I was like, I'll do it. And he's like, mate, you're, you're totally not financeable. <laughs> but I, will, I was like, oh, right, sorry. Well, why did you give it to me to read? But I... Um, Anyway, so he, w- we became. I suppose I became attached to it, but the film had taken at that point twelve years, and they, it never got financing, and so I sort of remained loosely attached to it, and and then I got theory of everything, and and then Tom suddenly got the financing, and and the extraordinary thing about film is you have no control, you don't know when the right time is. Um, Alicia was cast, but then because she was making a Derek Sierfrance film, we had to push uh, when we started filming, and so. It ended up that we started making this film at the time while I was sort of still promoting theory, and it's all, it's all just. There's no method in anything. The whole thing is a sort of weird, bizarre. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's kind. I remember talking to you during the whole circuit for theory of everything. When also, by the way, you were having to prepare to get married, right? Mm. And Mm. it must have just been absolutely insane. How did you have even the the ability to focus to make this movie, let alone make it well, when all of that was happening around you? Well, I suppose because it had been a project that I'd been I'd been with for three years. There's a certain amount of sort of long or longer term investigation that mm-hmm. I started started doing. But but also um, on on Tom's counsel, really, um, I tried to make the amount of travelling that Felicity and I were doing promoting theory of everything make it a, push it into its. Um, or basically use it to meet women from the trans community, both in New York, in Los Angeles, and in London, to try and get us, meet people of different generations, different sort of parts of the world, and try and get as much um, 
sort of educate myself as much as I possibly could. And 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 weirdly, it was one because promoting a film was so different to making it. Mm-hmm. It was actually a very wonderful thing that every day I could go back to my my room and focus on on the actual work rather than just talking about the work. That's so interesting. So as you look back, though, you know, again, we're obviously going to mainly focus on uh, Danish Girl, but as you look back at that whole experience of the past year, because a lot has happened in the year since the first time you, well, let's just say, both Theory of Everything and Danish Girl premiered in North America at the same theater, at the same festival, Mm. um, with with the same... uh, production company working title right same distributor focus so but in between so much has happened in your life and mm. i just wonder as you look back in, on the past year what what you kind how you kind of process it what were the and and particularly obviously the i would imagine the crowning uh, moment in a sense at at the oscars where it all uh, was recognized yeah, i mean i suppose for, for me the Personally, I, I yeah. got married in the middle of yes, it all. And yeah, that, 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 was that, the that most, counts too. That, that was the most <laughs> wonderful thing. And again, again, none of it was all sort of. So that 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 was the most extraordinary thing, and everything sort of settled around it. I mean, what's also is you. I'm not sure I've really processed it. If I'm being honest, you you put one foot in front of the other, and from we were making Danish Girl when the Academy Awards happened, and so I left on a Friday night from set and came back on, on Monday and was back working. And, and again, it, so the moment felt like a mirage. Yeah. It felt it was this <laughs> extraordinarily frenzied, wonderful moment. But I, um, sort of adrenaline and alcohol. Right. <laughs> 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 uh, so, um, but, but, well, you- but, but, but I suppose it's only in the, it's it's still now that you you can basically consistently pinching yourself. Sure. Well, and you remember I, uh, that that there was that David Niven book where I just have to bring it back mm. because mm. this was a guy who fifty years ago was saying similar to what similar thing to what you've just said. This is just this is like surreal. I can't, mm. and especially as I guess a Brit coming in and sign up, kind of popping in and out of mm. of what's going on. It just. Um, you know, I think he kind of implied that it was almost like a like a mirage, an illusion, yeah. or something. But I think I think it is, and, uh, but 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 it also, I don't know. One of the things I find interesting about filmmaking is is the amount of money involved. Like mm-hmm. you know, when, certainly when I was playing Stephen Hawking, you you were aware that the film was costing $15 million. Now, for me, that is like beyond... And, and you feel responsibility of that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're promoting the film, you, know, you, you feel a responsibility to sort of get it out into the world. And, and, and certainly with the, how long that, that pr- promotion was, you see people investing in the film and advertising mm-hmm. it more and doing all that. And I think the, sort of, the pressure sort of ratchets up as, as you go from being, being an... Uh, an actor and a performer to being someone who is out there trying to encourage people to go see yeah. that film now it's so much easier in, in both the case of um the danish girl and theory of everything where it's something you believe in and 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 i've um and and it's and you just sort of count your lucky stars that, because of that that doesn't always happen they well have. but so in in full candor though what's the what's the most uh trying part of it all just answering the same question a million times or the travel or or what um What's the most trying part of it? I, I, I suppose that the thing I find most trying is the, f- uh, not trying is the wrong word, but it's just the first time your film's being seen. Mm-hmm. I found um, 
but because you've particularly with this one it's as i say it was 15 years in the making for me it was three years of of work and suddenly this thing is go and it's made you you make it it's a, a passion project and it's something that's made by a collection of people and suddenly this thing is going out into the world to be judged and 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 the mixture of talking about it and having to deal with people's responses to it i find that pretty well i imagine hard. especially when you're when you're as you did in in the theory of everything and the danger girl when you're having to make yourself so vulnerable in different ways you're you're you know uh physically having to reinvent yourself in theory in this case uh, obviously as well i mean it's just you i guess you you kind of is that the first time you really get a sense of whether or not you've pulled it off when yeah it, I, I think so i mean with for, for theory it was the stakes that what would Stephen and jane mm-hmm. and jonathan think mm-hmm. and for me here it's lily is was an extraordinary woman and an icon of the trans community and someone who's a, a pioneer and it was whilst prepping to play the part I met, met at the generosity of the trans community or the people that I met towards me was was overwhelming but with that came a great responsibility to try and st- tell her story as authentically as I could and so here it's for me it's what what do, what do, do members of the community think and and um y- you want to do her story proudly mm-hmm. Well, I imagine, I believe this is the third time you and Tom Hooper have worked together. The first, uh, I believe, was Elizabeth the First for TV, mm. then uh, Les Mis, as we mentioned, mm. and now this. But uh, does the fact that it is somebody that you have a certain comfort level with make that easier? And then also to, to uh, if I can just prompt you to share one story that I've always found very funny. Uh, I'm sorry, because I'm sure <laughs> it's the millionth time, but just how this great collaboration actually started with tom yeah it wasn't always destined to look like this it definitely (laughs) wasn't no so i um yes i first i met tom auditioning for elizabeth first i think it was my first or second thing ever in front of camera and um it was with helen mirren and jeremy irons and i remember i was in this audition in i'd met him once and i'd come back for a second audition and just as i was to play the earl of southampton who was a sort of very decadent quite fey man and um quite ostentatious guy and and as i was leaving the audition um tom said one last thing eddie um have you ever been on a horse and i said yes um not admitting that i'd like literally been sort of walked around a paddock aged four or something <laughs> and um anyway i didn't i thought that's what actors do you hear that like can you tap dance of course i can like <laughs> but, but, but no one had taught me the the bit in between which is that between lying and getting the part you then or getting on set you you go and learn right, how to right. do those things you know yeah <laughs> anyway so about two weeks later we were we shot the 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 miniseries in lithuania and there was this scene where hugh dancy and i were staging this gigantic coup against Helen Mirren so it's this huge Elizabethan street in Lithuania about a hundred Lithuanian horse stuntmen carriages rain machines Helen Mirren Jeremy Irons up on a balcony at the end Tom up there and I'm having spurs attached to my feet I'm on this gigantic stallion and I'm going at what point do I admit that I have never been on a horse <laughs> other than being water? And I was too embarrassed to admit it. And I so they called action. I was meant to be riding behind Hugh, and and 
and they called action and I sort of gave my horse a gentle nudge and he went off at 100 miles an hour I had to cover my eyes I was just like <laughs> clinging on and I uh, they had to pull the rain machines out people were almost sort of it was really dangerous like, people were almost sort of hurt and anyway Tom appeared from behind Helen Mirren in a huge sort of beautiful Elizabethan dress with a tannoy like a big loudspeaker and yeah. just said you're a fucking liar Edmund <laughs> um so it was bad. It really was a bad start, but right. it went. But from there, it could it's only go better. up. Right, right, right. <laughs> it go up. Wow. But there is something that happens when you work with someone a few times, and um, and and Tom is a pal, and he he he's seen a lot of the work I've done on stage. He knows my tricks. He knows my tropes. He he, he has a, a phenomenal mind, but also an attention to detail. And mm-hmm. and what I love is that there is. It's also a weirdly lonely job acting because you're you're self-employed. You you meet these whole families of people on each job, but it's always a new mm-hmm. group of people. Whereas quite a lot of the crew will work together right. again continuously. But but what I found interesting is if you work for long enough, you then meet the same people right. again. Um, and and certainly getting to work with someone like Tom, who is a friend, is is a wonderful thing. I mean, even actually what you were saying earlier about promoting the film, its working title the danish girl it's focus features mm-hmm. being back here and seeing some of the people who were so supportive of right. theory last year it's actually really it's it feels lovely yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it does feel nice hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you mentioned that you, you met with a number of people from the trans community. And I guess my question is, um, what were you able to glean from those conversations that you maybe uh, did not from from the book? Uh, yeah. And also... Um, do you feel that the world is more receptive to a film like this today than even just a few years ago? I mean, today, uh, this year, we've we've got obviously uh, everything from Caitlyn Jenner to Transparent to mm. uh, a, a number of things, in, in the Amer- at least in the American society, that seem to indicate there's a growing acceptance of the of the trans community that certainly wasn't there even just a, a few years mm. ago. So, I guess part A, what did those conversations teach you? And part B. Um, do you think the, the the society is more ready for this film today? I mean, the the whole uh, the whole process for me has been one gigantic education and continues to be, frankly. Um, I I was in, I was really ignorant. I it never occurred to me that um, gender and sexuality were two distinct things. Um, um, I had no idea about the amount of discrimination. I mean, what, what, one of the things when I read the script that I found, you know, the amount of violence towards Lily, the amount of discrimination, the the way in which the doctors in the piece pathologize what Lily is going through um, was quite shocking to read. And you then, as I met women from the community now what was astounding was sort of almost how little progress there's really, been really. in 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 the united states you can be fired in 32 states for being trans you can that the suicide rate of trans people of people who attempt suicide mm-hmm. is 41 percent um healthcare issues job discrimination i mean it's it's 
a, a particular and, and violence mm. violence i mean mm-hmm. particularly towards trans women of color is rife um mm. and so what was astounding was basically in 85 years how how little really? progress wow. there's been now certainly in the past year or two it's become a mainstream conversation mm-hmm. and cisgender people including myself are beginning to be educated and l- learning how to become allies to the trans community mm-hmm. but what what i think the conversation and of course um everything you mentioned from um transparent to Laverne Cox yeah. to um to Caitlin's story is all of which and I think particularly you know Caitlin's story is so unique to her well it's it's her story yeah. and what's very interesting to me is of all the trans women I met and trans men of course there is no one trans story everyone yeah. has their own as in and and but what I think is interesting about Caitlin is she's using her position of of, of great privilege to also shine light on issues of less privileged people and um and i think that there is so it was a massive education and i think that the it's wonderful that the discussion is becoming mainstream and i hope that this film if it does anything it just helps continue that discussion and but there is still it's a civil rights movement and there is a long way to go sure i saw a trailer for a a series which i think is hasn't been funded yet they're raising money for called her story which i think jen richards i think trans actress is in which looks totally wonderful i mean in in england there has been a um there is the first um sort of sitcom really? uh, with Rebecca Root who's in our film actually yeah. she plays a, a nurse in our film she's the lead in um, in, in that and it's so uh, it's it's I, I think it's a it's 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 there are many stories being told mm-hmm. and and there's one woman called Paris Lease who's a um, journalist in London who I met was I think one of the first people I met when I was re- researching this role mm-hmm. and she was describing on television the other day how she looks forward to the time when when it's it's almost sort of boring to talk mm-hmm. about as when everyone is so knowledgeable that right. it just become it's just part of the cause you know it's not something that one thinks about and and, and i thought that was also interesting well i mean i guess these things can change quickly because uh obviously not not quickly enough for in, for a lot of for a lot of people but the fact that Today in, in America, we have gay marriage was kind of unthinkable just mm. eight years ago. Mm. And so um, perhaps perhaps the society will move in, in that direction. But I yeah. guess one thing that people are, I'm sure, going to wonder when they see the trailer for this, when they read about it, mm. is just logistically what it in, what it entailed for you to become, move, to tr- kind of uh, uh, more from Einar to Lily or to, I, I guess, Lily was always that, within yeah, Einar. Yeah. But uh, just in terms of, for Eddie as Einar yeah. to to become Eddie as uh, Lily, yeah. was there? I mean, it seems like it would have been uh, makeup, hair, uh, prosthetics, and mm. all kinds of things. So, was that what was that like for you as an actor to, to do? Well, it was important for me that there weren't any. Um, I mean, the, firstly, what was interesting was that the, the, the most complex side of it was finding Lily's inner life and her and her emotional story. Um, that I suppose the physical. And, and that was from meeting trans women of different yeah. generations, different moments in their lives and hearing their stories. Um, what was, I suppose, f- and it was from them that a lot of the physical elements came. I, one friend of mine described how 
when she was the early part of her transition, she, she described this phase of what she called hyperfeminization, which is when you're beginning, when you've come out and you're sort of entering the world. She would wear perhaps too much makeup and dresses that are that's hyper feminine, mm-hmm. and and it was her exploring her her femininity and. And she related it to sort mm-hmm. of a teenage girl's adolescence of right. trying things, <laughs> right. and and, and um, before getting rid of some of those things as she found herself, like mm-hmm. sort of shedding some of that. Um, and that was interesting. That was something I wanted to bring, and I discussed with Jan Sewell, the makeup designer, yeah. and and Paco, the costume designer. Um, so you have Lily's sort of red wig, which is quite sort of prominent and and strong, and then but as she finds herself later in the film she goes back to her own hair um uh and but one of the keys into it for me was a a drawing of lily when she was living as einar and it's um in it the 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 costume is one of it or the clothing sorry is one of incredibly high solid starched collar Mm -hmm. and then she's wearing a suit and it is really tailored and one, you sort of get this sense of, uh, I sort of describe it as like an exoskeleton, like a, like this sort of masculinity, yeah. masculinity that she has imposed or society has imposed on her, and from that was a clue for me into finding her was how to unravel those things, and yeah. um, and uh, so that was I suppose was the that's way fascinating, in. yeah, and just just out of curiosity in terms of the of the uh the timing that it would entail to become uh for you i understand mm. that that uh, that lily einar always was lily, yeah yeah but for eddie to become lily yeah, yeah. what was that as process? far as in the morning like do yeah, you, mean, you show up what's yeah well it was a, a long bit there was but but also things you mentioned prosthetics it was really important to me that there were no prosthetics uh-huh. there's not i mean that there's a um, I mean, other than actually when I when she gets beaten and there was ah, some yeah. stuff under the eyes and stuff, but 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 that it was just we were just using you know in the same way that I started by looking online, there are some amazing resources for trans women of vocal lessons of how to change your voice, and I started sort of following those and mm. and then realizing actually Lily didn't have that right, um, right. capability or that technology, and um, and and so similarly with we didn't want to sort of do. It, from from for trans women blending or you know the term passing is mm-hmm. some which we're used to hearing is quite often sort of looked down on by some trans women because not you're not trying to pass as something else you're just trying to be yourself like, yeah. um and and so i didn't want it you know whether it it wasn't other than for playing the plot points of 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 Lily blending at that first ball yes. enough for it not to look cinematically odd that right. that everyone wasn't going that's absurd you know right, but, right. but but I, it wasn't important it wasn't it, it, there wasn't I didn't feel oh this is about me convincingly being a woman that wasn't that wasn't really behind the, right. the it was more about being her right uh, now you've worked with a lot of great actresses um i know just off the top of my head the ones that occurred you know michelle williams in my week with marilyn uh felicity last year with theory mm-hmm. Kristen stewart on and on we yeah. can go on and on yeah i think that part of me <laughs> i've been very lucky very lucky yeah, well yeah. And, and they as well but i mean the thing here that that has as much as 
uh, you know, people came out of this movie going nuts about your performance, but also Alicia Vikander, who um, this year has kind of just exploded onto the American scene, but people that were following her with The Royal Affair and some of these mm. other international films, um, there's been a lot, a lot of, uh, she's been a very interesting actress to follow. And I have to ask you, um, what is it, can, if you can pinpoint, mm. that makes her special and just her, sort of how she compares and contrasts with some of the other people you've worked with? Well, I will ne- never forget, um, Donald Gleason is a good friend of mine, and I mm. remember him going to work on Anna Karenina and coming back one day going, I've just worked with this absolutely extraordinary woman. And... Um, and so I'd heard about Alicia from, from then and you're right, she's I mean, utterly extraordinary and it's I, I pinpointing it is a complicated thing. <laughs> I what I found amazing is a lot is spoken of her um training as a ballerina. If you see ex machina you see the amazing poise and mm-hmm. physicality in what she does. And and she I think training to as a ballerina you you have a rigor that 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 training is not easy and <laughs> and it's a pretty vicious world i think and um so she has an extraordinary strength and technical capability but what is what what really took my breath away was her emotional capability like she has this sort of visceral thing where she doesn't over you know th- oh it's not that she has it, she'll just out of nowhere this extraordinary power and vulnerability will occur and she just pushed me i mean really raised my game it was it did feel it was it was i i felt i, I both alicia this year and felicity last year i feel like i'm very very lucky with the people and you're only as good as the people that you get to play off mm-hmm. and play with mm-hmm. i'm curious to know for you was there one scene if there was one scene that was sort of the most challenging for you the most demanding for you mm-hmm. in the danish girl um what, what would you think that was god i don't know um I'm not sure about a scene specifically, mm-hmm. but the part of the film that I found most complicated, I think, was as she was when she had when when Lily was sort of coming out, but society was repressing her. So when she was trying to retain the the sort of tropes of her assigned gender um, in Paris, when she was being beaten, when she that 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 for me was. I think perhaps the most complicated area of, mm-hmm. of, of, of the film, and, and um, but 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 it but at the, but at the same point, um, I, it was interesting for me because it was it was that it was challenging the, the film, but, at the, but 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 above and beyond everything, it felt like privilege. It did really feel getting the opportunity to play her was was um, was pretty wonderful. And then this is sort of related, but as a, as a, I recognize theory of everything in Danish Girl, it's like apples and oranges. But um, as you look back on the experiences of these two, and again, I'm kind of thinking of them in the same uh, at the same moment because having seen them for the first time in the same setting and all mm. of that. Um, what what did you you know for you as an actor as a person, however mm. you want to look at it, which took you the most out of your comfort zone which was harder for you there's two massive transformations as an actor uh and yet i i wonder if you found that one was actually more of a demanding uh part for you than the other that's really interesting i think um god which was it's so weird because it sounds odd to say but you don't think of it in terms of 
you you think of it in terms of doing justice to the character. Right. Um, I was sort of saying, you all, I suppose, as a human being, you're you there is a fear element which is the judgment. Now, as I was saying before, like the the, the judgment was very clear in theory of everything because I knew that Stephen would right. see the film, um, and he, here in 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 Danish Girl, it's. Our there was what Lillian Gerda's true story. There was then the book published after Lily's life, Man into Woman, which people think is not entirely reliable. As then there's the Danish girl, the fictionalized version, and then there's Lucinda's take on this. Plus all of the the trans people who I met who told me their story. So it definitely feels like more of a, um, you know, this isn't exactly accurate to her. Um, the specifics of her story and things of compression, but but I I feel m- more of a sense of s- sort of I think r- maybe it's because it's the film that I'm making now, but of, right. of 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 responsibility to to the community really, yeah. and to trying to do justice to her story. I haven't really answered your question because I don't think I have an answer to it. <laughs> um, but the answer is they're both very sure. different. But but again, like. Our dream as actors is to get to play interesting people, and I and I think I've had my share yeah, in, in Lillian and Lillian Stephen. I've been seriously lucky. Well, it's like that great line in the movie. Uh, you know, I've I've had the pleasure of knowing whatever. I haven't I haven't yeah. known a lot of people that yeah. I liked in my life, but you're two, two of them. Of them. <laughs> I love Mateus. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, what a great what a great actor. Um, my last question is this. Uh, you know, I I think this is the one that's probably more um, important to you than any of these others that I've asked, which is just when people uh, finally get a chance to start seeing this movie mm. in in theaters across the world, um, is there one thing that you hope they will uh, take away from it or leave it thinking or doing differently in their own lives today, 21st century? What, you know, uh, that's what would that a be? Great question. I think um, for me, and it's sort of become, the, the, I suppose, the logline for the film, which sounds, you know, the, the courage it takes to be yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and that, and that sounds so sort of no. grand. And but 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 this notion of when people go, you yeah, just be yourself, I, I, as if that's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> I think all of us now, what what trans men and women have to go through um, in order to in order to find themselves is is extraordinary mm-hmm. and deeply complicated and scary and it involves phenomenal courage and particularly at a time when Lily had no predecessors it was overwhelming the bravery that she had that I also feel in life like our our aspiration while we're living is to try and be comfortable in our skin and to be ourselves and I think that um what I I hope and love is a major part of that and I hope that this film shows that and shows uses this extraordinary couple as as um as a template of how how to encourage that bravery basically well i i think that's beautifully said and it's i gotta just say it's a it's a privilege to be doing my job at the same time you're doing your job it's so fun to cover you and i i look forward to another uh you know fun next few months so thank you for doing this and congratulations thanks man absolutely